Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a specialist GP, and today I'm talking to Dr Susanna Wheeler about lifestyle medicine. What is it and can its principles be incorporated into a standard general practice consultation? Susanna is originally from Slovakia but has called Aotearoa, New Zealand, her home for almost 20 years. She graduated medicine from the University of Otago in 2009. Initially, she trained in psychiatry, but left the field because she was finding that it was too focused on pharmacological management, with little emphasis and time for the whole person in their environment. She switched to general practice, as she believed that, as a general practitioner, she was better positioned to deliver a more preventative and holistic care. During this time, she developed a passion for treating lifestyle-related chronic disease. Susanna is a qualified international board-certified lifestyle medicine physician, and she opened her own lifestyle medicine clinic, Zyvio Health, in Dunedin in 2021. She is now solely focusing on preventing, treating, and reversing chronic disease and promoting well-being. Welcome, Susanna. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on the Goodfellow Unit podcast. Um, I'm quite excited about the opportunity to talk about lifestyle medicine. So lifestyle medicine, Susanna, it could be said to be the cornerstone of all medicine, but some of our listeners may not have heard of lifestyle medicine. Tell us about this discipline please. I think that all of us passionate about lifestyle medicine see it as a cornerstone of good medicine. I hope that by the end of this podcast, your listeners will see it in that way too. So what is lifestyle medicine? One of the official definitions is that it is application of environmental, behavioral, medical and motivational principles to management of lifestyle-related health problems in a clinical and or public health setting. Lifestyle medicine aims to prevent, treat, and oftentimes succeeds at reversing lifestyle-related chronic disease. Most people link lifestyle medicine with cardiovascular risk reversal, obesity, or type 2 diabetes, However, it can also be very successfully used in many other areas of medicine, such as mental health, um, as an adjunct in cancer treatment, or even for problems like subfertility or autoimmune disease, either as an adjunct or as a standalone treatment. Lifestyle medicine is firmly grounded on evidence-based approaches from many different disciplines of medical behavioral, social, and health sciences. And if some of your listeners haven't heard about lifestyle medicine before, they are respectfully excused, as it is a relatively new specialty of medicine. First textbook was published in 1999, and it was first recognized as an independent field in 2004, when the first college was formed in the United States. Since then, it's been very quickly increasing in popularity all around the world. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing fields in medicine. And for a good reason, as it's uh, on a mission to deal with the pandemic of chronic disease that has been raging virtually 
in all industrialized corners of our planet. So, Susanna, lifestyle medicine is based on pillars of health. Some models refer to four pillars, others refer to six pillars or even more. Can you tell us about the principles behind these pillars? Sure. So the pillars are just different models uh, to help systematically address different areas of lifestyle that are known to influence well-being. What it all boils down to is that a meaningful health intervention for a chronic disease needs to be patient-centered, comprehensive and sustainable. Typically, we would assess and address all domains known to affect well-being, and we believe that these are all of equal importance, as they are interdependent and addressing one in isolation from the others may not result in a sustained change for better. So we would typically look at the physical side of things. Uh, So this would include physical health, nutrition, activity, sleep, mental and emotional well-being, and this includes stress management, coping strategies, unhealthy habits, personal strength and potential barriers um, that could be in the way of change. We would also look at the spiritual side of every patient, particularly uh, the sense of purpose or meaning in life and a person's connectedness um, in terms of how well they are connected, uh, how good their relations are, because all these have been shown by sound research to be important for well-being and also in driving sustained behaviour change. And we would also look at the wider environment of every patient, so um, assessing their socioeconomic environment, access to services, access to healthy foods, and so on. There are many different ways of assessing these domains, and I will demonstrate one of the many possible ways on a real case. More often than not, there are several areas uh, that would benefit from change. After identifying areas for potential intervention, we work with the patient to create a plan. In terms of management, we would use a highly personalized approach to find the patient's inner motivation to change because the evidence is very clear on that external motivators do not produce a lasting change. A good example of this would be, you know, if I tell my patient to um, lose weight uh, because it reduces their blood pressure, they're unlikely to do it. But if I put it into the context of having more energy to spend with their grandchildren, they are way more likely to actually engage in the process of change. Research is also clear on that patients need to feel supported while making a behavior change. And some of this support comes from the professional, but ideally we would also help them find support elsewhere. That's why we are accessing the connectedness. In terms of professional support, evidence shows that the longer the better. Typically, it would take approximately one year for someone undergoing significant behavior change to require some level of support. The level of support needs to be matched to patients' uh, level of confidence that they can achieve the change. And this doesn't mean that 
we need to see a patient every week for a year. Typically, it would be a graded withdrawal of support. So we would start by seeing someone maybe weekly or fortnightly and gradually, depending on where they are on their journey, we would be reducing frequency and maybe even duration of our appointments. Now, when supporting people with behavior change, we work alongside them as a partner rather than as an expert. And we utilize evidence-based techniques from behavior change, psychology, and coaching. So rather than telling them what they need to do, we would help them discover this for themselves by asking the right questions and helping them utilize their personal strengths and resources to their benefit. Thank you, Susanna. That's a great overview. I wonder, it could be said that lifestyle medicine bridges the gap between health promotion and clinical practice. What are your thoughts on this? Hmm. This statement reflects the whole system approach of lifestyle medicine. In other words, it's like an umbrella that covers every aspect of lifestyle-related chronic disease. Starting with upstream drivers of chronic disease, such as environmental and social factors, and ending with a day-to-day clinical management, promoting and delivering behavior change in both the individual as well as group setting. So it's basically a mix of public health, primary care, and behavior science applied to lifestyle-related chronic disease. In the clinical setting, the emphasis is on patient-centered care and patient empowerment. Health education plays a very important role to promote and inspire self-care and self-management. An interesting area of lifestyle medicine are group appointments or shared medical appointments, which are sequential individual appointments in a group setting. They have really solid research behind them and have been shown in several studies to improve outcomes while reducing costs per patient. And they are really popular with patients and practitioners. Another interesting fact about lifestyle medicine that makes it different from many other fields is that lifestyle medicine colleges and societies around the world are multidisciplinary. And so they include medical practitioners from every field of medicine, starting with general practitioners all the way, you know, through ophthalmologists, psychiatrists, surgeons, and so on. But they also include allied medical professionals, nurses, exercise physiologists, pharmacists, and also uh, non-clinical health professionals that are interested in um, bridging the gaps. And this multidisciplinary approach is really important and a great learning uh, for everyone and definitely helps in bridging the gaps. Susanna, in our introduction, I said we would talk about how you would incorporate it into a standard general practice consultation, but it's sounding like this type of medicine is very time-consuming. Do you think you can integrate some of the principles into a general practice consultation? And if not, explain to us a little more about how a lifestyle medicine practitioner would work. Yeah, so in all honesty, I mean, problems that took years of unhealthy behavior to create are not going to dissipate after one appointment. Um, So if someone presents with a health problem that clearly streams from their lifestyle, 
it helps if the practitioner starts respectfully linking the cause with the problem and invites the person to come back and discuss it further. Um, repeat prescription appointments, funded screening appointments, and appointments linked with programs like Care Plus or Click could be a good opportunity to at least start the discussion. There are some tools that can be helpful in primary care to facilitate this discussion. And I can also refer your listeners to some helpful resources, which I have included in the podcast notes. There is also a variety of communication courses. Uh, many of them are available online and they are specifically designed to help healthcare professionals approach these topics. And I would refer your listeners to those. There's actually a new course uh, produced by our local Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine that is available for learning online. In saying that, as I stated before, a comprehensive and personalized approach is needed for a sustainable change. And this takes time. I would encourage your listeners to refer patients with lifestyle-related chronic diseases who are contemplating change to a professional with interest in lifestyle medicine. There are about 500 registered members in our society from all over New Zealand. Many lifestyle medicine professionals are also offering telemedicine consultations, so location should not be a barrier. Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine website has a list of certified professionals and you can access them through them. And we are also in the process of creating a specific New Zealand directory, which will hopefully be available soon. And there is also a growing number of health coaches in New Zealand, particularly in healthcare homes. And these professionals are specifically trained to deliver lifestyle interventions and their services are fully funded in the setting of healthcare homes. So a great resource. Another option are shared medical appointments, which I mentioned earlier, and they are a very affordable and a very effective and enjoyable option. Some DHBs are also funding different lifestyle intervention programs. So you could ask your local PHO or DHB what is available in your area. For example, my local Southern PHO has agreed to fund a comprehensive group program for type 2 diabetes that a group of us has designed and will be delivering soon. In fact, we are in the process, we've just started recruiting patients for this intervention. So if you are in Dunedin, please flick me an email um, if you have patients that you think that might be interested in uh, participating. Before you mentioned evidence-based medicine, and I think medical doctors are different from some other health practitioners in that we practice from a very strong evidence base. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the evidence base that goes with lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. Yes, lifestyle medicine uh, is founded on extensive evidence base including the gold standard um, randomized controlled trials. I won't have time to talk about all of it, obviously. Some of it goes without saying. I mean, the, the role of a good lifestyle in prevention of chronic disease is not disputed. But I would like to use 
one study to illustrate uh, how lifestyle intervention can be used in the reversal of a chronic disease. This study was published by Ornish et al. in 1998 in JAMA. Uh, they had 48 adults with coronary artery stenosis on angiograms who were randomized for intensive lifestyle intervention. And the control group received standard of care as per American Heart Association guidelines at the time. At one year and five year follow ups, significant improvements in the stenosis were found in the intervention group compared to controls, most of whom, in fact, worsened. And this actually created quite interesting headlines in American press at the time. So the results at five years were that 82% of experimental group showed regression of stenosis, while a large proportion of control group got worse. Interestingly, those response effect was found, found in that those that were more adherent to lifestyle change showed greater regression. This has been a consistent finding across many studies. This was one of the first studies that provided hard evidence that healthy lifestyle has the potential to reverse chronic disease. There have been many more studies published since demonstrating the possibility of this. And not just in cardiovascular disease, we are talking obesity, type 2 diabetes, some cancers, chronic pain, mental health disorders, and the list goes on. So it's been said from this evidence that lifestyle medicine is highly effective. And Dr. David Katz has been quoted as saying, quite a powerful statement, lifestyle as medicine has the potential to prevent up to 80% of chronic disease and no other form of medicine can match this. So you're a strong believer of lifestyle medicine. What do you think about that comment? Yeah, it is, it is quite radical, isn't it? The evidence is clear. And I would just like to mention the global burden of disease studies that have been serially published, commissioned by the WHO and conducted by some of the most prestigious world experts. And they have shown time after time for about 20 years now that 70 to 90% of chronic disease is preventable by modifying lifestyle. Knowing this and not acting on it is criminal, in my opinion. And it's ruining not only our bodies, but also our economies and will inevitably result in crises. COVID is an example of this. I'm really, really passionate about delivering lifestyle medicine to individual patients and groups. And I can definitely appreciate the impact it can have on their lives. Find it really rewarding, both for myself, but also for my patients. However, with the numbers of chronically ill people that we are faced with, it feels like what I can do at this level is but a drop in a sea. New Zealand health system is already in a great deal of struggle because of massive prevalence of chronic disease combined with lack of resources for prevention, education and long-term care. We simply don't have enough staff and resources to be able to provide the care most people need in primary care. Frankly, I think that changes need to happen at the societal level, at the level of lawmaking and politics. 
our country has somehow ended up implying exclusive personal responsibility of an individual for their own health by the way our economy and health system are structured. Yes, we all have choices, but we live in a pathogenic environment where a bottle of Coke is much cheaper than a bottle of water, where people have to work huge hours to survive so they then don't have enough time to relax or create meaningful connections and supports. We live in a society where most people actually cannot afford to see their GP as often as they really need to to get and stay healthy. What really needs to change is what we allow to be sold in our supermarkets, what we see as fit for consumption for our children, what we feed sick people and staff in our hospitals, and how accessible is physical activity for the average job in terms of time and resources, what resources are actually available for this average job to stay physically and emotionally resilient, and how the average job gets by on day day basis. Yes, I, I totally agree. And thinking about the Simpson report, it would um, agree with you too, the findings there, particularly in our Maori and Pacific families, um, we're not meeting their needs and things do need to change. And um, absolutely, yeah, what we can do in general practice is somewhat limited and it does need to come from a higher level. I totally, totally agree with you. So Susanna, it's been a very thought-provoking talk so far. I wonder if there was someone who was interested in lifestyle medicine and getting some resources to put into their practice or learning a little bit more, where would one go to find out more? So a good place to start would be our local society. So the acronym is ASLM, A-S-L-M, Austro-Asian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. But there are also other international lifestyle medicine societies. Uh, in particular, the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine has some excellent and very New Zealand relevant resources. There are some really good podcasts about lifestyle medicine. A local one that is produced by the president of ASLAM, uh, Dr. Sam Manger, is called The GP Show. Then I would also recommend the Doctor's Kitchen or the Feel Better Live More podcasts. They are both British. There are several websites, um, such as the GP Show. He's got a really good website. The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine website. Doctors for Nutrition. The Diet Doctor. And of course, there are books. In terms of textbooks, I would particularly recommend the Australasian edition of the lifestyle medicine and the truth about food by David Katz. And there are many other books on particular topics of interest. Susanna, it's my understanding that you can now do a fellowship in lifestyle medicine with ASLIM. This is great. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, there is a fellowship pathway, which I'm on, and I'm hoping actually to, to, to fulfill the criteria very, very soon. So yes, you can achieve a fellowship, but we don't have a college yet. But that will hopefully happen. Yes, watch it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, Susanna. To conclude our podcast today, what would your top take-home messages be for our listeners, please? Okay, so uh, number one is to introduce the link between lifestyle and chronic disease at every opportunity. Number two is assessment and management of lifestyle-related chronic disease is best achieved in a systematic way. 
as there are often multiple interdependent areas that need to be addressed for best outcomes. Number three is aim to achieve sustainable long-term behavior change. And this will require multiple visits. So referral is often necessary. And there are plenty of professionals around New Zealand that have the training and interest in lifestyle medicine. And you can find um, their names on Aslan website. There are some really good resources available. And I would also like to add that I would be very happy to answer any further questions uh, via my email, which is drzuzi at ziviohealth.com. And I would like to thank you very much for your attention. Wonderful. Thank you, Zuzana. We will have a list of resources on our website, goodfellowunit.org. You can also find some free to access webinars, med cases, and e-learning modules. Thanks for your time today and thanks for listening.